Well, have you all recovered from Easter? We laugh. I've thought about this this week, you know, the fact that Easter is, you know, a major time. And sad part is, Jesus overcomes death, and I'm the one that's saying, wow, that was rough. But here we go. We are first Sunday of Easter, the first Sunday after Easter. Um, and we come to the end of the book of Matthew. And I have to tell you, this is one of my favorite sections of the Bible. This is one of my favorite four verses of the Bible. It is a section of, uh, of Scripture that gives us purpose. It gives us direction. It gives us uh, meaning. And it gives us a, a, a mission to participate in with God. I, and this is this text has really been a guidance for me in a lot of ways, not just in coming to ministry, but in how then I live my life. So I'm, I'm actually really excited about this text. If you're not, sorry. <laughs> um, but uh, we are in Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. If you want to open up to there. Uh, Matthew 28, 16 through 20 is, is kind of the most crystalline uh, teaching Jesus gives us on discipleship. And of course, as we approach that, that, that comes to the question, what is a disciple? Who is a disciple? Um, and we tackled a little bit of that actually in the Sunday school class today. Um, and discipleship, you know, who is a disciple? Well, that's any of us who claim to follow Jesus. So this applies to any of us in the room who claim to follow Jesus. And there are three uh, major uh, teachings here about discipleship. Discipleship is a commitment. Discipleship is a mission. And discipleship is a relationship. So discipleship is a commitment. Discipleship is a mission. And discipleship is a relationship. So let's open to Matthew 28, 1 th uh, 16 through 20, and hear what Jesus' words are. So they have gathered in Galilee. Then, uh, picking up in verse 16, then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. This is God's word to us today. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this teaching on discipleship. It provides so much clarity to our lives, but it's also a difficult one then to go out and live out. Help us to understand the, the call in this passage and to to know how we might start to implement it into our lives. Right now, I've strengthened my words, for mine are empty, just a vapor in the wind. But you, O oh God, you hold the very words of eternal life. So may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. As I said, we, we have to define discipleship, and I did that. There's no real excessively uh, 
technical definition of discipleship. You know, you think about theologians, they are great about giving words uh, that are just indecipherable to anyone except for theologians. Eschatological inbreaking. You go, what? But really, the definition of discipleship is simply following Jesus. That's it. Committing our lives to following Jesus. And that's why discipleship is a commitment. Uh, you know, we are, uh, are taking on the mantle of someone who is going to, as we live our lives, to, to focus them around the life of Jesus and say, okay, if Jesus had lived in my circumstances, if Jesus had grown up in my family and had my background and had my education and my interactions, how would Jesus live in this situation? In the 90s, you might remember the bracelets, bracelets WWJD, what would Jesus do? And, it's, and it, that, that gives a quick short snippet of what it is, but it is how would Jesus live were he in my shoes in this moment? How do we take what he did and how he lived and what he taught and apply it to this situation right now? Because as, as we may know, you know, Jesus wasn't a macroeconomics professor. Jesus was not a, a physician. Jesus was not a, you know, a banker or a financier. Jesus was not a stay-at-home mom, and yet we are to apply those things. What is it that Jesus would have done if he were in my situation? And that's one of the first commitments that we make as a disciple of Jesus Christ. That's one of the first things that we want to do is to orient our life around that. And this is a commitment then that does some, I don't want to say does some damage, but it does some rearranging of what our identity is. You know, it's very hard to, to center our lives around something and to be thoroughly committed to it without it, ha without it um, changing our identity in some way. The uh, Scandinavian theologian uh, Soren Kierkegaard, who lived in the first half of the 20th century, tells this story, and, and, and um, the first couple of times that I heard it, I went, wait a minute, I don't understand. So bear with it if you don't quite get it. But it tells the story, the, the parable of a thief who breaks into a jewelry store. And when the police come in the morning, they don't find anything missing. But what they find is all the price tags have been rearranged. And that's commitment, and that's discipleship. Jesus doesn't necessarily take the suffering out of our life. Jesus doesn't take things out and, and, and put things in, although, yes, in a certain sense. But what he does is he rearranges the price tags. We talked this morning in uh, Sunday school. We had some great conversation, uh, and I brought up a Wall Street Journal poll that just came out recently uh, that talks about Americans' values. Very interesting uh, that over the past several years, in the past 20 years, actually, over the course of this, um, over the course of the Wall Street Journal tracking these things, traditional American values have become devalued. Things uh, such as 
having children, things such as patriotism, uh, things such as community involvement have decreased in value, but the only thing that has increased in value over that time is money. Wealth. Our, our price tags have, have gone to something. Our values have gone to something else. And so when Jesus comes in, he rearranges those price tags. And he says, you know, I'm, I'm going to, to change your ideas and your thinking on money. You still have to engage with it, but I'm going to take this price tag and I'm going to put it somewhere else. Being a follower of Jesus really does rearrange your identity. It's not an add-on. It's not an addition to something. It, it's not, you know, I, for uh, the, like the colonial pen commercials where for just $9.95 a month, you can, too can have peace of mind. But it is a total reorientation of our being. And I, and I want to say that discipleship, then, is not a task. We've talked before who is task-oriented and who is not, and, and I, have, uh, I use Evernote as my task management software um, and, uh, to, to get things done. You know, the greatest thing about a task list is checking it off or crossing it off. You get that joy when you just go... Here is the frustrating thing about discipleship. Discipleship is not a task. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And, lo, I am with you always, even until the very end of the age. Too many times, the commitment that we associate with this is a commitment to the organizational church. We equate it with serve on a committee. We equate it with, with um, help take care of this task, help take care of this ministry, and then when you're done, you're done. Unless, of course, you get roped into session or deacons, and then it's three or six years, depending. But we associate so many things with tasks, and what can I do and then cross off? But discipleship is a commitment that is not a task. It's not finished. At what point do we, if it were, we would say, at what point then would I say, ah, I'm done with discipleship and I can be done? But discipleship isn't a task. It's a commitment that is a lifelong commitment. Right now, uh, Katie and I are in the midst of discipling our two boys. And we have those conversations from time to time. How do we, how do we help them to know how to follow Jesus in the midst of this? And in the midst of this? At some point, Lord willing, they will move out. <laughs> but then the, the task of discipleship doesn't stop. It continues on. Discipling here and who are the people that God has placed in our lives and around us. God, where has God placed us so that we can reach people that no one else can? And this is also why discipleship is a commitment because we we have to be committed to those around us as well 
you know, the, the old style of, uh, I'm going to make fun of the church for a second, not ours specifically, but just the American church. You know, it used to be you just kind of wanted to bring people in the door, and it was the pastor's job to just kind of, uh, my mentor would put it, it was a, it was a, road, a, a ranch style uh, model of ministry where you just bring them in the door, and, and the pastor's here, whoop, we'll brand them, just bring them in. But that's not the life of discipleship. That's not the commitment. Because in any given week, there are still just two pastors here, and there are, are, are 50 times more of you than there are of us. And 50 times more relationships, and 50 times more connections, and 50 times at least more opportunities. Countless more opportunities to reach the people around you where God has placed you. And it takes a commitment to, to live into discipleship in those moments. As well, discipleship commits us to the whole teaching of Jesus. Did you hear that phrase, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you? I don't usually like absolutes. I don't, because they're uncomfortable, because you can always find something that's, that's wrong. But Jesus says, teach them everything I have commanded you. This is probably the, 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 the part of Jesus' commission that is the hardest for individualistic people. People who have grown up and have been told, you, you live your own life, you do you, you take care of whatever you need to, look out for number one, make sure that you have everything that is in line that you need, and make sure you're comfortable in the process doing it. We value comfort, we value our, our autonomy, our ability to make our own choices. And yet, the commitment to discipleship is a commitment to the whole of the gospel. The entirety of scripture. Teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. How many of us like buffets? All right, it's... The <laughs> Thank you, brother. <laughs> All right, the, 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 the buffets are a deeply polarizing thing. It's a great theological divide in our household. Um, that has been settled really by the gluten-free issue because you can't go to a buffet and, and, and start asking what's gluten-free. You just, you just don't ask what's there, and, and it makes everything better. Um, but, you know, a buffet is nice because everyone can get, or this uh, different way to, to ask it, who likes when there are a huge group of people, you know, we're just going to go to the Cheesecake Factory. Because the Cheesecake Factory has like an eight-page menu so everyone can find something that they like. And that's, uh, we, we want to, to find what we like. We like to pick and choose. And, you know, Jesus, I really like what you say about uh, love over here, but I, I'm really not as fond about what you say uh, uh, about how my love should look in comparison to my, uh, for my family in comparison to my love for you. I really don't like that. And, and I really like what you have to say about healing people, but I don't like what you have to say about taking up my cross. And we really don't go through that. What we do is we just kind of gravitate towards the things that we like, and we say, you know, I'm going to stay over here, and I'm just going to be this Christian, and we'll, someone else can take care of those things. 
But that's not the commitment of the gospel. The commitment of the gospel is that we have to hold all these things together and then teach others to do it as well. We don't get to pick and choose. Uh, the, 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 um, the phrase that John Paul II used, uh, although just a different second word, is cafeteria Christianity. He, he said cafeteria Catholicism. Catholicism. And I think there's a lot of wisdom in that. And the Great Commission here speaks directly to that. So what is our identity? When we think about this teaching of Jesus, when we look at him saying, uh, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, what is our identity? Are we a full-fledged follower of Jesus Christ or do we reserve part of ourselves for ourselves? Just in case. Just in case. Are we willing to teach the whole gospel? Are we willing to learn the whole gospel? One of those difficult things where we have to know it before we can teach it. Are we willing to be a student of Jesus all of our life? Real quick comment here, you know, uh, as I say, when, are we willing to learn the whole gospel? And, and that can trip us up. Uh, and I want to mention this because we'll say, you know, I'm not, a, I'm not a learner, I'm not good at this, you know, that just isn't my thing. But all of us are learning. All of us are in process, and all of us are able to take up the commitment and say, you know what, maybe I'm not going to teach, uh, maybe I'm not going to teach the, the uh, class on the theology of Karl Barth and how that reflects, but maybe I am going to teach the classes on the life of Jesus, because, you know, I can get my head around that, and I can teach on the Gospels, or maybe I have a real, a real interest in the Old Testament, Genesis, and Exodus. And I really want to teach that. And I'm really passionate about that. And we can, we don't have to know the whole thing before we start. If any of you are a Myers-Briggs TJ, I'm sorry, that's a hard teaching because all, all of us TJs want everything wrapped up with a nice little bow before we start. The FPs are going, all right. I've been waiting for this. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, don't worry about it. <laughs> so discipleship is a commitment, but discipleship is also a mission. You might see how very quickly we can go into that. So discipleship is a mission as well. You know, from Genesis, uh, we know something about work. Does anyone realize the fact that work exists before the fall? You th ever think about that fact? We think of work as drudgery, but work existed before the fall. God had invited Adam and Eve into the work of co-creating with him, stewarding the Garden of Eden, being a part of the creative work that God was doing. And so what we learn from this is that work gives us meaning and purpose and vitality. It is a divine thing. It is a divine gift. It's very interesting because we know that when we take work away from people, they suffer from meaninglessness. They suffer from, people suffer from, from a lack of purpose when they don't have meaningful work to do. And of course, meaningful work is, is defined differently to different people. 
you know, once again, uh, I, I have a, a deep respect for what Katie does because I don't understand how she can go and listen to first-year violinists. <laughs> I don't, and yet there is meaning and there is purpose in that. She didn't understand how I could t- teach uh, 18-year-olds Beowulf, but I found meaning and purpose in that. Huh? <laughs> Thank you. Love Beowulf. That's, oh, all right. Anyway, before we get off track there. <laughs> but work gives us meaning and purpose. And so what Jesus does is he says, um, it says go and make disciples. That word go is actually not the, the, the primary verb there. It's more, I would like to, even though scholars would say don't do this, it's better understood this way to, to, to those of us who don't have a Greek background, which is as you go, make disciples. So wherever you are going, make disciples. Are you going to your workplace? Go and make disciples. Are you going to your family? Go and make disciples. Are you going to, to Giant Eagle or to Aldi? Are you going to, to, um, uh, to Ruby Tuesdays? Or are you going to, to Chipotle? Go and make disciples wherever it is. Are you going to be with friends? Go and make disciples. Take your everyday coming and going and infuse it with the mission of Jesus to bring redemption to a broken world. This is where you can really see that discipleship is not a task. But it is something that gives a much larger vision, a much more uh, broad understanding of the world. It's something that can propel us forward. You mean that I can take hope with me wherever I go? That I can take the promise of salvation with me wherever I go? Yes. Discipleship is a mission. It infuses the everyday mundane with the holy and gives it a purpose that it never had without God. And that is, that transforms once again, how we go about things. It transforms our lives. It would transform our identities as well. And when we start to do that, it becomes hard to stop. The gospel starts to flow out of us in a way that if we treated it like a task, it never would. Discipleship is a mission. It is something that we give our life over to. You know, a mission it generally is something that, that, that isn't, you know, I'm just going to do this for a while and see how it goes. It is something that, that propels our life forward. You know, being a teacher wasn't a mission for me. And really, being a pastor isn't a mission. It's a calling, for sure. But to take the hope of Jesus Christ wherever I go and to see them transformed and bettered, that's that's a mission. That's something greater than the individual task. At some point, I will preach my last sermon. At some point, I will teach my last class. At some point, I will do my final things, but I will always be concerned about the mission of Jesus Christ. We are called to extend the redemption of Christ 
into the world. So the question then becomes, how do I do that? How do I allow the mission of Jesus to soak through everything I do? How do I allow uh, Jesus' teachings to guide my business interactions? How do I allow it to guide the way I parent? How do I allow it to guide the way that I age? And, and how do I allow it to guide the way that I interact with a different generation? How do I allow it to guide and to direct the way that I interact with people I know and with people I don't know? That's the question that arises from, from discipleship being a mission. And you may be saying at, at, at some point here, okay, this is just sounding too daunting. That's a lot of thinking, that's a lot of doing, that's a lot of, that's a lot. It's just a lot. Well, you're right. It is. It's more than we could possibly handle. It is far more than we could possibly handle. On our own as a particular congregation, it's far more than, than we could handle as a presbytery, as a, as, a, as a church, as a denomination, as a collection of denominations. So, so what's the hope? What's the power? What's the impetus? Jesus gathers his disciples there and he says, authority on, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And look, behold, I am with you. Last week when we talked about the empty tomb, the empty to we said that the empty tomb leaves us disturbed. The women were disturbed on seeing the empty tomb. It wasn't until they experienced the personal presence of Jesus that they experienced joy. And what does Jesus promise in the final line of Matthew's gospel? I'm not going to give you the right books. I'm not going to give you the right techniques. I'm not going to give you the, the, the right roadmap. I'm not going to give you the right instruction manual. I am going to give you my personal presence with you from now until this thing is done. Jesus' personal presence, the way it's written there is I is emphasized. I am with you. Not someone else. You're not on your own. You're, you're not, it's not a group project that you're going to get frustrated by. I am with you. And so in order to accomplish, in, in order to be disciples, in order to go about discipleship, we need to do it in relationship. Discipleship is a relationship with Jesus. It's a commitment. It's a mission. But it is a relationship where we experience the personal presence of Jesus that strengthens us. You know, sometimes personal presence is a negative effect but still motivates us. You know, when the teacher is right over our shoulder when we have just been, been talking in class... Personal presence can motivate us. In this case, it's a positive personal pres presence. Those of us who have lost parents have, have had that experience of saying, boy, if I could just be 
with my parent one more time. If I could just experience that one more time, if I could just be with them one more time, if we've lost a loved one and just want to be with them one more time. And here Jesus is saying, you're never going to lose me. You're never going to have an instance where I will not be with you. I am with you all of the days through eternity. It's a more literal translation of that verse. I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus promises us nothing short of his personal presence as we go about this. How does that change your attitude on discipleship? We aren't alone. We aren't attempting to figure this out on our own and go back and say, did I do it right? But Jesus is promising to be with us each and every step of the way. Discipleship is following Jesus. It is a commitment, a beautiful commitment. It is a mission, a lifelong mission, and it is a deeply personal relationship that results in a wonderful community. How will we engage in our, in our work of discipleship and follow through on the Great Commission? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your, your sending of us. Thank you that, that our work doesn't end, that your work hasn't ended. That it was a, that there is hope for this world. That as we think about all that is going on that causes despair, that you have promised to be with us and you have promised to work in and through us. Help us to engage that commitment. Help us to take on that mission and to walk with you and to show you to those we, whom we love and to those whom we don't even know. We give you thanks for your grace and we give you thanks for your presence. Help us to lean into that. All this we pray in your name, Jesus. Amen.